Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning, Malcolm. You know, it's funny. I'm in Washington, and both rabbinic leaders on Wednesday and uh, governmental leaders on Wednesday are saying to me that J Street's going to get into the conference, and then the vote was really not close. Did the whole thing surprise you on Wednesday when they were not included by the other members? Well, I think the margin surprised uh, people. Um, I, I do not uh, participate. I don't vote, and I don't participate in the process, nor does the chairman of the conference. But the uh, vote was uh, 22 against, with plus three abstentions, which is a vote against, versus 17. You know, in this attempt to try and portray this as somehow a right-wing, uh, as J Street said, you know, a small right-wing fringe dictated, when in fact, you know, when you have democracy and it doesn't go your way, then you, you uh, scream and yell. But when you're demanding democracy and openness in the community and you get it, <laughs> then you turn against it as somewhat ridiculous. And there are a lot of things being said which were not true in accusations and, you know, uh, people threatening and not threatening. Well, when things don't go your way, uh, you know, then, then nobody likes the process. You know how it is. But it, what, what's interesting is, uh, Malcolm, and, and every once in a while you and I get to discuss this in front of this so wonderful audience, you're, you are leading, and, and, and well, forget, forget about the J, J Street situation for a moment, you are leading an organization that, to the naked eye, is so diverse and has so many voices to the point where you, where everybody's angry at you, you know what I mean? <laughs> to the point where you can't do anything right, because you really do have a vast and incredible, diverse, uh, a number of opinions uh, in the conference. As is true of the American Jewish community. And right. We heard from many people who expressed regret about the way their organizations voted, and um, you know, people are hyping it, especially J Street, to to, to serve their own purpose. Uh, even though this was not uh, clearly the center was the one that determined the outcome of this vote, and um, you know, uh, you know, the process will go on. We will continue. It's the, still the it's the one central umbrella organization. I mean, there are a lot of distortions. You know, people say, well, the reform movement is the biggest and it doesn't have votes. It has four votes in the conference because it has four organizations in the conference. Right. So there's a conservative movement. So do others. So it's not. It's not. There's no disproportion here. There is uh, broad representation, and it's a system that they developed. Members' organizations developed. Unfortunately, you know, J Street's problems. They won't admit that the problems come from them, not from the the conference or the process, which was fair, open. Everybody says it. Even J Street says it was. I think when you gather, and I think that you would, I, I would hope you'd agree with this, when, when you gather with leadership of all, what is it now, 50, 52, whatever the exact number is, of organizations, uh, it, it, it is generally a, a, a peaceful, um, uh, respectful dialogue and, you know, et cetera. The reason I point it out like that, and, and, I, and I know we have to move on to other topics and we will, but, but it's so many folks out there, even those who might agree with their position, spoke about tactics and the way that we go about things. And if there's one thing you've been preaching all these years for a quarter of a century here, it's that you have to know, you know, how to act, when to act, remember before whom you are acting. And, you know, if, 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 if people are uncomfortable with that, then, you know, with the way certain people act, the way certain organizations approach things, then they're going to have to live with that. You know, if they live by the sword, die by the sword, so to speak. 
that's true that people can't just shift the onus for the things they create on either side on all sides of issues and to to I think there should be a cheshbon and nefesh, not a conference process, but why why was there such an overwhelming? But what is it that was wrong with their positions? It wasn't a rejection of the members, nor was it a judgment at our conference. It was a judgment about J Street, the positions they've taken, the people publish many things, but the fact that they have a pack that they actually endorse candidates and give money to candidates is the only organization that would have been in the conference that would do so. Nobody, APAC is not a PAC. APAC is a public right. affairs committee. Right. So there are a lot of considerations. Right. And, you know, the media just loves to hype it, and they will hype right. it. And just my point one more time, for a, lot of pe- for a lot of people, it was tactics over, uh, mm-hmm. o- over point of view. Uh, by the way, one other thing that I, I must point out, you, you have the privilege this coming Monday night, and, and frankly, this took me by surprise, there is a, a um, an event going on this coming Monday night, and again, for those of you who uh, who don't follow these things, let me remind you that uh, the chief rabbinate of the state of Israel has designated for this year, because of the Shabbos circumstance, has designated Monday as Yom HaZikaron, Israel Memorial Day, Tuesday as Yom HaTzmut, Israel's 66th birthday celebration. On Monday night, Congregation Base Moshe Shmiel on East 28th Street in Brooklyn, New York, starting at 745, is inviting the community to gather to express Akarasatov appreciation to God, who has blessed us with a thriving and dynamic homeland, the state of Israel, where all Jewish people are free to live their lives and pursue their ideals. The program, which is being hosted by Dr. Shlomo Sprecher, will include Jason Kopel, our friend from APAC, and the keynote address by you, Malcolm Honline, this coming Monday night. Um, you have always said, you know, it's it's not a matter of Hallel or not. It's a matter of whether we do something to acknowledge the fact that we have this incredible gift from God. You must be thrilled that you're able to speak at this type of gathering on Monday night. Well, as much as you were surprised, I was surprised when I got the call <laughs> this week. And I'm really delighted that this effort is being made and a few people who took the initiative and um, that it's time that these kind of events take place everywhere. You know, the program can be designed to, to take into account all the sensitivities in everybody's uh, point of view, but not to acknowledge it, to to denigrate what is probably the most important development in, in Jewish life in the, in, since since the Shoah, and to to give young people some identification with it and to show our karasatov to God for, for this great gift. And I think uh, they should be congratulated. The shul should be, and all the people involved in it. And uh, I hope people will come. And I hope that, uh, that that those who are not comfortable with it are again know how to react and how to how to pr- properly, you know, stand by as all this is going on. Yeah. Uh, one can only hope. Uh, this week we spoke to um, we spoke to uh, Rand Paul earlier in the week, and he was proposing that aid to the PA be cut off by the United States because of the uh, uh, Abbas-Hamas agreement, Fatah, in which we spoke about last week, of course, this merger, this marriage, whatever you want to call it. Um, at what point does this, uh, you know, stop being symbolic and maybe become practical? Meaning, if a guy like uh, uh, Senator Paul or others on the uh, on the Senate floor, on the floor of the House, go ahead and, and make these proposals or try to introduce these bills or, in fact, are successful in introducing a bill like that. At what point does it become serious? Or because the administration in Washington would never consider 
cutting off tie, uh, cutting off uh, aid to the PA, uh, it's likely going to remain just a symbolic gesture. Well, that's several questions. First of all, uh, I, I do think the administration would consider cutting off aid, if not all, but significantly, and it's bound by law already to do so if Hamas is part of it without accepting the traditional requirements of the quartet, uh, of recognizing peace agreements, recognizing Jewish, uh, the state of Israel, recognizing and, and uh, pledging no violence, etc. That um, that is not likely to happen with Hamas, and they said again yesterday, Mashal said that they're not going to renounce violence and they're not going to take the other steps necessary. Uh, So that is in the law now. The fact that Rand Paul was not always the most outspoken supporter would would take that position, and others, and other members of the Senate who have spoken out on it, um, is is a, I think, a representation of the mood and the the attitude that exists today uh, that some point you have to take stands you have to send a message that you can't just keep violating this was a big surprise to everybody maybe it was a surprise to to the parties themselves who didn't think it would go this far right especially on the part of the pa mm-hmm. i think hamas used it because they are an economic collapse the, the egyptians have crushed them and their economy by closing the tunnels they they don't get the same support maybe uh, the pa thought that they could again do this flirtation build up pressure you know, so that uh, uh, on the U.S. and then again and, and through the U.S. on Israel, by the threat that they, you know, they constantly threaten. This is the fifth time that they've had a reconciliation and nothing came of it. And frankly, I'm skeptical that anything will come of it now. It, it's not really in their long-term interest. What Hamas wants and, and is ready, perhaps, to give up the governance of Gaza because it's a hellhole and a economic uh, an economic collapse, and then just build up their position to run. For PA wide or the authority wide elections for prime minister or for the parliament handle. Um, was there a reaction to all of? I mean, I know we spoke about reaction last week in terms of this merger, you know, and and, and reaction from the White House. But specifically on aid in the last seven days, has uh, President Obama or anybody in the White House uh, made any statement regarding the potential cutoff? A- absolutely, I was in Washington this week. Many people said it, but they said it publicly that this is something. That would be considered, but it's not even so much their choice. I guess the president has waiver power, but right. this is a very hard thing when when the sentiment is running so strong, and you have Michal saying that they're still committed to jihad against Israel. That uh, you know they had a, already a, a rally in Ramallah by these guys yelling "Strike Tel Aviv," and the uh, you know the the pressure that he's been under, the additional pressures, and because of the. Other circumstances, not because he's all of a sudden developed a love and one has, wants to have a marriage with the uh, with the PA, that that's what's what's really uh, motivating them. But yes, the administration has said things about it, and uh, you remember there was a deadline of April 29th for the for the talks, so that's passed. And I don't think you've gotten the reaction. People, even if they blame Israel, they they blame the PA as well. And he didn't get a reaction where all of a sudden the pressure will be on them. And he says that uh, Abbas, that is, says he's going to go to these U.N. agencies and they're going to um, activate them. And all of a sudden, I think the international community not so thrilled with, uh, you know, getting put in this position. But officially, and we'll talk more about the secretary of state in a moment, obviously, but but he basically declared the talks over at this point, right? I mean, the 29th or not. Yes, I think everybody agrees that they have to go back to the drawing board. Right. 
make some decisions. Uh, and what did you make of Abbas calling the Holocaust the most heinous crime of the modern era and the timing after all of this that he goes ahead and makes this statement now? Well, uh, I think there are a couple aspects that people have pointed out. One is to recognize an historic reality is not such a brave and courageous move. Even when you've written the exact opposite for well, decades? I don't know what he wrote exactly. Uh, as an analysis I wrote read last night is that he didn't deny the Holocaust. It's just that he says that the Jews were responsible also for per- for perpetrating it. Mm. And we have to see whether he's really uh, going to come out and, and uh, as he changed that view. We see others still writing about it and blaming the Zionist conspiracy for the, for the Shoah. I, I don't dismiss the fact that he said it. Uh, I just think that it's it's you know to acknowledge an historic fact if he had said and that, and because of that i think we have to recognize the importance of the jewish state the right of the jews to the state that et cetera et cetera uh i don't believe it should be linked to the holocaust i think there are other things and that's part of the reason somebody asked me last night why why would they engage in holocaust denial what what's the benefit right and the answer is because they say look the state of israel was created because of the holocaust not because of three thousand years of jewish history because they denied that history so when you say that the Holocaust is not legitimate, then you take away the raison d'etre. It's another way of attacking our roots and the, the, the basis for the existence of the state of Israel. The U.N. did vote the, the Israel into existence, but as was pointed out in a very thoughtful uh, analysis, that had the, had the Arabs not attacked, then they might be able to say the reason Israel was exists is because of the U.N. vote. The U.N. Mm-hmm. vote enabled it, but then you had an Arab attack. The U.N. didn't do anything. It was Israel's fledgling population that fought back and create and enabled the state to be created with God's help. And 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 the U.N. cannot take credit for it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as we, of course, acknowledge what process and the, and the vote that, that happened. So, you know, these things are very complicated. Uh, and And, uh, frankly, right now I'm more worried about how they treat living Jews, then and acknowledging their rights, then going talking about dead Jews when it comes to to Abbas. Excellent point, especially in light of uh, Yomatz Mu'at being right around the corner. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine. On the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Remember, weekend programming is flourishing on jmnam.org. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And Matis with another amazing live edition of JM Sunday coming up at 7 a.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday morning on our stream at jmnam.org. The timing is also interesting because he had, he had just, meaning Abbas had just gone ahead and, uh, you know, sh- had shaken the political world with this uh, agreement with uh, Hamas. I wonder if he would have even spoken about uh, the Shoah, uh, if not, uh, you know, for a desire to, uh, to to sort of get back into certain people's favor. And I also found it interesting that it took an American rabbi to go ahead and have the influence on him to go ahead and make that statement. Wasn't that a little bit out of the ordinary? No, I think, uh, as I said, I'm not sure even he has... Uh deny completely the existence of the Holocaust. It's Holocaust denial when you uh, undermine the significance of the Holocaust and the perpetrators, etc. And, you know, it's an issue which I'm very sensitive about, the the Shoah. You know, this week in the House Foreign Relations Committee, we had a ceremony launching a book which I've discussed on on the program because I've been working on it for more than 10 years, and it finally has come to 
to fruition and has been published, where we document what happens on Kristallnacht. Because when I heard in, uh, many years ago that the numbers we've been using all along, about 300, 295, 350, are so far off. And what I say about how we constantly still learn the realities of the Holocaust that we think we know so much about when we don't, that we documented more than 1,300 synagogues that were destroyed on Kristallnacht and its aftermath immediately just in the areas under Nazi control at that night. And that doesn't include Austria, it doesn't include the other countries. And in fact, since the book was published, we've identified almost 100 more, uh, as well as Jews who were killed from 33 to 38, uh, which, who are not considered part of the 6 million. And the name, we call it Pogromnacht 1938, and it will be available online at germansynagogues.com, germansynagogues.com, with full descriptions of, of the communities and uh, uh, brief descriptions of the communities. In bigger cities have a, have a more of a treatment. But there was never any record in English about this, about the, the, the synagogues, a collection of the, that these communities not be forgotten because many of them don't have any uh, remnant Nobody to give testimony, nobody to memorialize. And this project, which uh, Professor Mayor Schwartz and others in Jerusalem, including German non-Jewish volunteers, young people who came to do research, and other non-Jews who, who, who helped, but uh, also young Jews, who spent years literally compiling the information. And for the first time, we have a publication, and the chairman of the Bundestag's Foreign Relations Committee joined the chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee, and Elliot Engel is the ranking member, and uh, Nadler and many others were there to, to commemorate this uh, event because it focuses us again on how many people, Germans, not the uh, Nazis and not the army and not the police, joined in making the night Pogromnacht possible, and we don't call it Kristallnacht because that's a Nazi term that diminishes the significance when you talk about crystal and, and glass rather than talking about murder and, and uh, destruction. So what do we call it? Pogromna. And uh, what was the number again you said? The more accurate? We have more than 1,300 in, in the book. Wow. And, and uh, it will be available online. The, the actual books themselves will... Um, it, the hard copies are only getting, being given to members of Congress to present to institutions in their districts, but the um, uh, but it will be available as a CD and and ev all the content online. So we don't need Abbas to tell us about the heinous crime. We have plenty of proof ourselves. We have the proof, and and you see that that seventy years later, facts still come out. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, what do you think of the uh, apartheid reference by Secretary of State Kerry? Well, I think he said it best. He regrets saying it. It was unfortunate. It's not a uh, true representation. He said he could uh, if he could rewind the tape or whatever, and he issued a strong statement both about his personal history and then, you know, it, people focus a lot on it because of the history, not just of this one incident, but that there were, uh, new, you know, some of the other comments that he has made. Um, but I think he tried, uh, and, and the statement he issued on Monday night, I think was uh, you know directly addressed uh, the concern that I think a lot of people felt. But the question is, what, where the policy, and where's this all going to be headed now? And, and this attempt to try and put all the onus on Israel that we see even in the media and by others, 
really has to be ha- has to stop, and there has to be clear responses by all of us to to this uh, distortion of reality. By the way, I think that one of the reasons that both members of Congress and uh, leaders in the community uh, reacted the way they did to his statement is uh, was somewhat following APAC's lead. They uncharacteristically were very vocal at a loud volume about uh, the apartheid reference. Well, we ha- went to Washington, in fact, about it to meet with the, uh, them at the State Department to express our views and to make known our objections. Uh, it is true that, that APAC doesn't uh, necessarily go into the, to issue public statements, but felt that it was necessary in this instance to, to go on record and to express their chagrin with the nature of the comment, which we did directly with the key people, both in the White House and State Department, because it, it's not just one incident that I'm saying. It's, it's the, and the impression that it creates, and this is exactly why Abbas will not never feel the need to do anything, because he thinks if he can continue to hold out like this, right. then... The pressure will only be on Israel consistently. So now put all this together, what we've discussed um, uh, this morning, and is the shuttle diplomacy over? Like, are the Kerry trips to the Middle East now, you know, suspended for a while? Suspended. I, I don't think it's over. He's not heading to the Middle East in the near future. He's not heading there now. I don't see any sign that. The, I mean, there are talks that still continue periodically. Uh, there's a. I think there will be a lot of reassessment going. There is a lot of reassessment. We met with people involved in it, and uh, I think they're trying to look at what went wrong, what, what is right, and what would produce something just to keep going there uh, endlessly. And again, if, if, if the PA can join with Hamas, I mean, that really was the blow. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying, well, it's settlements, it's this, that has nothing to do with settlements. It, this guy signs up with Hamas, has negotiations with the U.S., and the, Egypt, the U.S. And, uh, and Israel knew nothing about uh, I don't even know which Egyptians knew about it. And I think they, he himself was caught off guard by how fast this moved. But it was serving the purpose of, of uh, Hamas, and maybe he thought his short-term purpose, they would use it for leverage, and all of a sudden it started to race away. I don't believe it's going to culminate in anything, but I do think that it's a time to recalibrate and to assess where the responsibility lies. And, and this even-handedness every time again, is disturbing. Other um, uh, administrations in the Middle East are happier that there is now less communication between Israel and the PA or not? I mean, countries like Syria and Iran, Iraq, Jordan, are, are they, they are happier or less happier that there's no communication now between Israel and PA leaders? Well, the extreme governments, obviously, the Irans and others will be happy if there's no progress towards peace in Israel and the Palestinians not talking. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure how much progress there was, but they like the diversion of attention away from them and, and the focus that has to be on, on Iran's nuclear program, which keeps getting a buy. You know, Syria comes in, this thing, Egypt, and everything diverts attention away from what is really the critical issue in, in, the, in the region. And frankly, I mean, people want to see some progress. And the Israeli people want to see progress. The government, I think, is committed to, to a process, but you don't have a partner. You can't make progress. And the, the, uh, the administration and others, certainly Kerry, was praised by Netanyahu for the devoted effort that he made and the commitment that he made. You know, he was talking to uh, the prime minister every day, they say, and there was close working relationship between them. So people shouldn't portray it. You don't have to be careful how you portray things. Right. When, 
You don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. Wow, unbelievable. All right, can you explain to me what happened uh, in the Ukraine? A Jewish mayor of a city in the Ukraine was shot and ends up being treated for his wounds in Israel? Yes. He is Jewish. He, he's a somewhat controversial figure. Uh, he was shot in the back and in very serious condition. Uh, I, I guess that the hospitals there now are under such stress and strain and probably supplies are more limited, so he was flown to Israel uh, to, to be treated. Identifiably Jewish, like was yes, it absolutely known to be Jewish? And um, I guess this is a good opportunity to ask you. The uh, uh, it is so confusing to me to try and figure out over the last few days uh, what's going on in the Ukraine. And you keep reading about uh, uh, Russian attempts, Ukrainian attempts to take over different areas. What what could you tell us about what's happened over the last few days? Chaos. <laughs> and uh, and today there were two helicopter pilots. Two helicopters shot down, the pilots killed. These are Ukrainians fighting the pro-Russian forces. Uh, the, you know, they continue to, to hold siege on, on areas. The Ukrainians seem unable to, to mobilize an effective response. Has Russia backed down at all in the last month? Has, have, they, have they done anything to make it seem like they're even concerned about world opinion now? Well, they still infiltrate people in. They still provide the support. They did not move the troops across the border, although they're there and still intimidate. And uh, we don't know if there's infiltration of, uh, on a limited basis, not officially. You know, these guys who are carrying out the stuff are, are not wearing uniforms or uh, wearing uniforms, but not no patches, no identification. And they think that they are, in fact, Russian-trained uh, forces who, who have come in. Uh, the situation there continues to be terrible. The economy is in ruins. They're, they're moving towards an election. The... Um, uh, but the internal fight and the splits uh, remain. The, the, the security situation, of course, is uh, is a very serious one internally as well as along the border. Uh, people are comparing this to other eras in history when you know Russia has made attempts to uh, to expand, so to speak, or to have influence in other areas. Do you think that this is in fact uh, you know identical to uh, other Russian attempts over the last decades? Russian attempts or other attempts, people have likened it to Munich, people likened it to other things, and no, no analogy is perfect, but you learn the lessons of history, and that is that uh, people like Putin, who's single-minded uh, and shrewd and has moved more and more towards uh, a, a uh, dictatorship style in, in Russia, are not going to be deterred if they don't meet resistance, if they don't see a unified West standing up for the Ukraine, it doesn't mean going to war, and it doesn't mean that that we have to be landing massive numbers of troops. But at the beginning and right away from the start, and and there are relationships. People draw analogies, not from the past, but from what happened in Syria, what happened vis-a-vis Iran. That they see that the West is weak and not and not doesn't act with determination and will, which is something all the Arab leaders point out to us, and that is the impression that exists then people like will take advantage of it because he, he will exploit the weaknesses. You know that Russia's economy is the same size as Italy's. It's not a great power. And if you take away 50% of the income, which is oil, I mean, you have nothing left with a, with a major country like that. So, and its population is diminishing. The, the, his internal situation is, is very bad. Uh, sanctions do hurt them, but, but they have to be applied bigger basis if, if uh, the price of uh, oil would drop ten dollars a barrel 
It cripples Russia. That's why it's so surprising, and we said this last week, he's not acting like somebody who's in charge of a failing economy that's you know, multi-dependent on oil and, that, and, and, has, and has very little influence. He's behaving in the exact opposite manner. But this has been a big diversion for him. This has taken away attention from, from the internal situation, and got, his popularity is soaring because it, 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 he plays to Russian pride. Pride of in the past, and and people in Russia do consider Ukraine differently, I think, than some other places. But it could affect Moldova, it could affect others. And I can tell you that countries that used to be part of the former Soviet Union uh, are very worried, and and more distant countries. Are you planning a trip to that area in the near future? I, I met with the uh, Ukrainian foreign minister this past week, and I met with the uh, Ukrainian officials. We're meeting with others. Uh, we have thought about it. It's just the timing is very difficult. Wow. Um, we have many people who have gone there. There are people on the ground. We keep in touch with the security situation and uh, try to, to see wherever we can help. And we were debating last week about the Jewish population of the Ukraine. Someone in Washington mentioned 300,000, which is a bigger number than I thought. No, I said it goes from 100 to 300 right. estimates. Nobody knows exactly. And, uh, and one city had 50,000. I forget which one it was, but one city had 50,000. Well, the biggest uh, synagogue, somebody just came back from the Netflix, a, a congressman, um, Anglin Congressman Royce, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, told me that he just came back and he went to the synagogue. And he told me how moving, but it's the biggest synagogue in, in the Ukraine. It's a huge new building, and many of the cities have, by virtue of uh, significant donors who, who provided these big buildings, uh, so the Jewish population there is significant. People forget they've yeah, had an uh, uh, out-migration to Israel and to the U.S., but the population remains, and then, uh, then elderly and, and uh, how in difficult circumstances. Right. Congressman Royce was on the show this week, and uh, one, one thing you have to say, uh, both in the House and the Senate, the heads of the Foreign Relations Committees are pretty good friends. Wouldn't you say that? Amazing. Senator Menendez, Senator uh, Congressman Royce, Engel, all of them, if you, and, and you heard many others who the support in the Congress is great, and it's why having events like the uh, Norpac trip and others that go to people going there, but also on the local level, inviting members of Congress to their community, come, having them come and speak uh, at, at schools and, and building up the relationship and helping to educate them and, ex- and talk about the issues, because frankly they're bombarded with so many different things that to keep the focus on some of the concerns that uh, we all have, uh, is is all the more important, and whether it's reminding them of the chemical weapons, Syria now supposedly has 27 tons, and keeping the pressure on them, uh, and the fact that they supposedly still used it, the the what's happening in Iran, where we're still seeing the the nuclear program moving ahead, and the the, the and the U.S. Did, did impose new sanctions this week on Chinese and and others at Dubai sources. But we have to see it uh, emphasized even more. And they did declare this week the State Department, much to Iran's displeasure, uh, a a state sponsor of terrorism, which is very important. Uh, But we have to keep the the pressure on them. None of the Khamenei said that he's not going to reduce the the research and development nuclear program. He said the main advantage is strengthening national security. So it's not for energy purposes. It's national security. It is a military purpose. He just said it. And we have to help call attention to these things and and, uh, and the position that Israel's in and what, what is happening in the region. 
By the way, did I see this week that uh, Erdogan is basically declaring that uh, he's ready for Israel and Turkey to uh, completely normalize their relations the way it was in the past? He did say that he is prepared. Well, first of all, his memory very mercurial, so it doesn't mean that yet that it will happen. Right. But he did say that in the near future he thinks it's time to restore the relations. The quote that was publicized was actually an Israeli official's quote, uh, about how important the relationship is in Israel's uh, strategic importance in the region. But uh, Erdogan did make the reference to wanting to come back and restore the relationship because they did resolve the issue, as I understand it, of uh, compensation. But he kept adding on new requirements, new requirements. <laughs> He's also facing a lot of internal problems. In all this while, the trade between Turkey and Israel has been soaring which shows that on a people-to-people level, you don't have this, although you have radicalization and other problems going on in, in, in Turkey and concerns uh, abound. But the fact is that the, the trade between the two countries, it, it continues to increase. Do people still travel from the United States to Israel via Turkey? Some people do because uh, Turkish Airlines is cheaper. But the, <laughs> but the number of flights, uh, now I think Turkish Air is flying Fifty-two flights or whatever. I mean, it's still you again. It has resumed. Was well, fifty-two a week? It's fifty-two a week, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um, and finally, Malcolm, uh, this Monday, and we discussed, of course, Monday night. You're speaking. We talked about that event in Brooklyn. Twenty-three thousand one hundred and sixty-nine. As we go into Yom Hazikaron, Israel Memorial Day. That's uh, those who have fallen, uh, and in the number, of course, uh, includes victims of terror who have been taken by the enemy over the last the 66 years as well. A, a big number for a small country, wouldn't you say? It's a, if, if you think in American terms, I mean, it's an astronomical figure, but it's astronomical for Israel. There's no family virtually that has not been touched directly and directly um, by, uh, by the terror, by the wars, by the price that Israel has paid uh, to be a Jewish state. And it's a time, I think, when people should reflect on it and not take Israel for granted to remember the price that was paid by so many and how little is asked of us to do our part to protect the, the Jewish state. You know, it's going, there are going to be 8.2 million people in Israel as it celebrates the 66th anniversary. Who would have believed that 75% are Jewish? The country's economy is still growing at a booming rate. The, the population growing at least 2% a year. The, the standing of Israel, and if you look at its position... Look at the countries that threatened it, not just in past history, but now. Egypt today is, is looking to Israel. I met the Egyptian foreign minister this week. You know, they talked about the cooperation in Sinai, Gaza, etc. The uh, Syria, Assad, who threatened Israel so much, Iran, Iraq, all, all of the countries today. Israel faces real dangers. But when you look at this course of history today, 60 years after, 66 years after its creation, I wonder if the founders could ever have even imagined that this would be the startup nation, that this would be the country that Arabs now talk about so differently, mm. uh, even if they're not ready yet to fight the necessary bullets and move ahead with uh, proclaiming their relationships. Oh, no question about it. And uh, five years ago, when the economy started to collapse in this country, we joked about uh, Jewish organizations going from the United States to Israel to fundraise. Five years later, Malcolm, 
basically the same type of situation. We just spoke to Jake Novak before you were on from CNBC, and he was talking about the income tax rate in Israel hovering at 20%, while most developed countries in this world are at 36%, and the, the purchases and the the economic uh, stability and growth, both at the same time, if you know what I mean, uh, just continues to flourish in the Holy Land. It's incredible. And the creativity. If, if You would see the things I see every week, new companies, new inventions, things that will benefit mankind, whether it's medical devices, whether it's medicines, whether it's high-tech devices, low-tech devices. I mean, literally every day there was a conference this week uh, on this again, and, and they are happening, it seems, almost every month. And the array and the creativity and people said, you know, it'll dry up. We already have the you know, Intel's chip and everything else. Intel is investing $6 billion in Israel. Wow. This is, I mean, these are the untold stories and the creativity when you look at how they treat autism, how they're treating so many other things. They're so far ahead of, of other countries and they, they, they look to it. And as I said, when we were in Greece or in Spain and other places, they talk about Israel that they want to have closer relationship and especially because... Now, Israel, God willing, will have uh, oil and gas flowing, and right. that will change things as well. Incredible. The whole thing is unbelievable. Uh, Malcolm, uh, enjoy Monday night. Call like a vote on that, and uh, we will speak, please God, next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, have a good job. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays, 7.40 Eastern Time at JM and the AM.